You listen to 247 Real Talk. Uh, this is your host once again, Julian Perry. For this episode, I'll be chatting a bit about credit, about the IRS, about all these institutions that oppress middle-income, lower-income people and the games they play. I'll be right back. Welcome to another episode of 247 Real Talk Podcast. It's a pleasure to be with you this evening. It is Wednesday, April 20th, around uh, 9.48 p.m. And uh, I'm a bit early tonight as I'm doing the monologue. I don't have a guest on tonight. I actually had a guest that was scheduled and they canceled. So it happened in this business, you know. So I'm happy to be here with you. Hope you guys had a great week. I know uh, Monday, this past Monday, was tax day. And so... You know, everybody was hustling to pay their taxes, especially in a season where uh, coming out of COVID, you know, we were a bit off with our timing and stuff. So still, I think there were a lot of people hustling that would normally would have done it already, would have filed their taxes already. But nevertheless, the, the deadline came April 18th. And I'm going to look at my notes here. So if you hear any paper in the background, that's just me. Uh, I jot down notes during the week of, of things that go on in, in, in our environment and our society so that we can chat about them. So opening up this episode with mentioning tax day um, is a good way to start. Because you know, I've been thinking about the IRS for a long time, and there's some things I'm going to tell you here. Some of you might have known them. Some of you might not have known them or heard them. But... Uh, Let's talk about things that you probably thought about already. Now, the IRS is saying that they, they set a deadline date. You know, so usually April 15th or the Monday after. So this year was April 18th. And according to what I'm hearing, they're, they're severely backlogged. They're, their staffing has not been increased for uh, possibly two decades or something like that. And they're still working on like 83 million um tax returns from the previous year, you know, especially COVID bringing some delays into the process. But I'm trying to understand this whole concept. You know, it made me think about it for a second. So I think about what, let's talk about their end first. Now, this is our federal government. These are institutions that are part of our government, part of, of, of who the people um sort of support, and we do support them by paying taxes, et cetera, right? So we support in, in an effort for these institutions to govern the country and, and to sort of create a balance. But shouldn't it be fair? I mean, so everywhere you, you look and every, you, know, every, you go, you Google or you go to the, their website or you listen to the news and basically they're telling you, you know, don't hold your breath for your refund this year because it's going to take forever to get it, basically. Um, and what's crazy about that is you have a deadline. They set a deadline for you. You don't have an option in the deadline. And if you owe them, meaning if it has been determined that the, based on, a, on, a, on the percentage that they set, um, and, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that in a little bit too, but, but you know, what, what the average middle-income, lower-income person pays if you if they did not withdraw what they you know enough money to meet that algorithm from your check during the year, you owe them. And so let's say hypothetically, you can't you don't have that money. You didn't have that money come April 18th. So there's a number of things you have to do. Um or a number of things you can do. One of them is to call the IRS and to work out a payment plan. Now, the first problem there is, I forgot the statistic, but it's like one in every 1,500 people is getting through to, to a live person, something to that extent. So I'm assuming that if you have to negotiate uh, a monthly payment, you need to speak with someone 
and your chances of getting through are, are so difficult that you, you know, it already adds a stress and a, and a burden to the process. What's worse is if you, if you don't have the money, if you, you, know, if, if, if you are paying them off in, or you make an agree, agreement to pay them off in installments or however you do it, there's interest that builds up on what you owe them. And let's just use the absolute value of you owe them. Let's not get into the semantics of, of, of whether or not, you know, that's really, you know, the case. But let's say based on the calculation, you owe them and now you can't pay them. And for the life of the time that you either owe them and you, uh, you know, and you, you have money for them, there's interest building up. Okay. So let's, let's, let's you know, let's sort of, Tie that together in a neat bundle. You worked all year. At the end of the year, they say, hey, we didn't take enough money from you. You still owe us X amount of dollars. You say, look, man, I don't have it right now, which is for middle and, 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 and lower income people, that's a, that's a reality almost every tax time if you owe money because people want to think that, oh, you know what? If you owe them, you must have made enough money. Not true. Cost of living is up. People have expenses. People have unexpected expenses. And the bottom line is that most people I know when you have to pay back, you struggle. So they charge you interest if you have to pay them in installments. They charge you interest for everything past this year would be April 18th. Okay, let's give that to them. So, let's use the other scenario. Let's look at the other scenario. If throughout the year, I made a plan and I said, with my withholdings, I am going to claim zero dependence. You know, and depending on how things were, you know, I will get a refund at the end of the year. And I know people actually use this concept. So, you know, you know stick with me here. So they figure, you know what, if, if every paycheck I had to save a few dollars to pay off a bill at the end of the year or to, or to do a project at the end of the year, I'm not going to get it done. So I'm going to deal with my paycheck as it is during the year. I'm going to claim zero dependence, you know, withholding for zero dependence at the end of the year. I will get that lump sum and I'll do what I have to do. But now the IRS is telling you, hey, you know what? We don't have staff. We're backed up. You're not going to get it, you know, for a while. Well, shouldn't they have to pay you interest while they're holding on to your money? I mean, what, what levels the playing field here? What makes it fair to people? Let's, let's, let's look at a different scenario here to see how people's lives are impacted. So let's say someone has a project and they really need, they really need to you know, complete this project. Now, a project can be an actual project in your home. It can be, it can be you know, paying for braces for your kid. It can be, you know, it, it can be anything. So... You, 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 have to, you don't have the money early in the year or whenever in the year, so you put it on a credit card. But you think, you, you're figuring, I'm going to do this smart thing here. I'm going to put it on a credit card that's offering me 12 months of interest-free payments. And I'm going to pay the minimum throughout the year. And since I've been filing taxes every year, I kind of know how to time it and when to make this investment so that using... Uh, previous years as a precedent, I'm going to get my refund back because I usually file at a certain time. I usually have all my paperwork and I'm going to get my refund back and I'm going to take that lump sum, all of it or some of it, whatever, and I'm going to pay off this credit card. So if I pay off this credit card, I'm within the 12 months of the interest repayments. Now here we are. It was an investment you had to make. It was a mandatory investment. You found the best way you could by using this credit card. Now the IRS is telling you, hey, well, we backed up. I'm sorry, we short staff, but you're not going to get your check for a while. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm saying this because, you know, there's some people who file electronically, and I think the system does that a lot quicker, but there are a lot of people who file by paper. So now, month, month 13 comes with the credit card. The IRS has not sent your refund as yet. They are not giving you interest on your money that they now have. Because remember, refund means that they took too much from you based on your circumstances. And 
you are now going to wake up one day and get a statement from the credit card company that's that's you know all of a sudden the balance went way up because you did not meet the 12 month interest free requirements because you didn't get your check back as you were expecting so now you have to pay the interest but you not only have to pay the interest now you have a higher balance on the credit card so the interest that for the 12 months is added to the balance and now your monthly payments include interest on the entire balance of that credit card while the IRS takes their time to give you your money. But hey, if you owe them, you're going to pay them interest. These, this is a government that's supposed to be for the people. How is this right? How is this possibly right? How is it that we, the people, are held accountable, but government is not held accountable? I'll be honest with you. For some, you know, if I'm in that scenario, I really don't care how short-staffed they are. And I know when I tell you that story, you probably, you know, you probably get agitated because you say, you know what, he's right. You know, this is ridiculous. I, you know, if I think about it that way. But hold on, hold on to your horses. It gets worse. I was driving home a couple of days ago and I was listening to the news and they were talking about the IRS and this is what I heard in the news. So I haven't been able to speak to the IRS to completely 100% you know, validate this, but this is, what I, this is what's been said. The IRS has said to their own internal federal structure that they have budget problems. Uh, they don't have enough money to hire staff and to, and, to, and to perform their business to the best of their ability or the way it should be. So listen to this carefully. The IRS has said that in terms of audits, the majority of people who will be audited this year are people who have made $25,000 or less. You, and, and you're hearing that right. That wasn't, you didn't hear a mistake. You know, you don't have to clean out your ears. $25,000 or less. Now you think about today's society. You think about today's economics. You think about what it takes to survive. $25,000 before taxes. And they're going to audit the majority, the majority of their audits are going to be people who are making $25,000 or less. And the reasoning behind this is that for them to audit rich people, it requires resources. It requires an accountant. It requires people investigating. Because remember, people who have a lot of money have a lot of ways. They have a lot of attorneys and accountants. They have a lot of ways of hiding money and, and working with loopholes. And, and their taxes become very complicated. They take money and they find tax shelters and all these things. And they've, you know, they really work the system. And the system is, is, is so designed to support them working it to the best of their ability. So it takes a lot of resources to audit someone who's making a lot of money to ensure that, you know, they're actually playing fair. And we know a lot of them don't. But because it takes a lot of resources, a lot of manpower, so it takes a lot of money to pay people to do this, to pay their, their staff to do this, they can't afford to audit the rich people who, are, who have more than enough money. So they're going to audit people the majority of people they are going to make are people who make $25,000 or less. And you can go online and you can research this and you can, you can look it up. I'm sure the information is there. Now you tell me what's wrong with this picture. You know, it's almost to me like, you know, we live in society in a time where someone who makes $25,000 or less to get a free pass. Because by the time you take out the normal taxes out of their money, Survival, you know, is, is, is just a massive struggle. There's inflation. Look at what's going on right now. The price of gas, the price of food, the price of everything that you, you have to, you know, you, you, you need to, uh, to live every single day. Look at what it's costing. $25,000 or less before taxes. You know, you got to be living at home with mommy and daddy, or you got to be one, one of the, um, several breadwinners in the household to make up to make ends meet and they're going to audit you and they're going to look at scrutinize everything and say hey you know what you made a mistake here 
So you owe me $25,000 less. You can't really owe a lot, right? You owe me $300. Oh, you don't have the $300 to pay by April 18th because you're poor? Well, guess what? Yeah, I'll work on a payment plan with you, but you're going to pay me interest in that $300. And they're going to turn, the, you look at the other way and say, this guy made $100 million last year. And, you know, the likelihood that he's doing a whole lot of stuff for tax shelters and, 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 and working the system is, is great, but eh, I don't have the resources to check him out. So he gets a pass. What is wrong with the system? What is wrong with, 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 you know, and this is part of a bigger issue. I'm not picking on the IRS here. I'm picking on the fact that, that, that we elect leaders to create an environment that's supportive of, its, of, 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 its, of the population. We elect leaders to look at the scenarios and understand the struggles of the poor, the middle in, income, even the rich and provide a level playing field. We're looking at, 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 at you know, we, we let government so that they look at people who are struggling, and there are many times people are struggling not because of their own mistakes. Some people are, but you know, there are others who have gone through all these different scenarios in life. Some of them have to do with illness. Some of them have to be, you know, have to do with, I've heard stories of kids who, who had great potential, who, who you know, barely made it through high school, but they had to stop what they're doing and they had to go work because they had a sick parent or their parents died. I mean, we're going to hear a lot of that now because there were a lot of households where both parents died from COVID and the 18-year-old kid is now the man or woman of the house and they're working to, 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 to pay the, the, the rent and, the, and take care of their brothers and sisters. And so there's no time for college. There's no time for, for to further their education right now to get a better job. So they're working with whatever they have, and you're going to go audit these people. And if, in fact, you know, for whatever reason, they do owe you money, which they, you know, for that income, I mean, that just should be, you know, there should be a, a certain amount that if you make less than, you don't give the IRS a dime. I'm sorry. This is a, and, and, and understand what I'm saying because people will say here, you know what, well, the government's got to run and you have to pay taxes so we can build bridges. Listen to me. All of that in a perfect system makes sense until you tell me things like, again, and I, and I want to make sure you understand that I'm a person with empathy, I'm a, I'm a person who cares, I'm a person of compassion. And I'm using the current circumstances as an example because. The, I, I look every day and see what's going on in Ukraine. I look and I see parents putting their children on, on a train to Poland and, and, and have no idea if they ever see them again, but they can't go with the kids because they're staying to fight for their country. So they put their kids on there and hoping that someone else is kind on the other end to raise their kids until they ever get reunited if they do. I've, I've, you know, that as a parent, that would, that would almost kill me to do that. So I get, I get the, the, the need to help people and to have compassion, but you, I'll say it again, you also need to have compassion for your own. And I would almost argue that you need to have compassion of, for your own first. So this, this country, you know, we send millions of dollars over there, you know, and, and I, again, I've, I have, I've spoken to military personnel who said, hey, you know, I, I've sat on a plane with a, on a C-130 with, you know, on, on top of $100 million in, you know, Freshly printed money. But you're telling me that you can do that in compassion for a stranger. You know, that's, that's like, the, 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 you bring it home, you know. That's like you have a brother and sister that you treat, or a parents that you treat like crap, but then you go outside and you treat your friends great. Charity begins at home. So if you can afford to do that, Outside, you, you can afford to make sure that your society, your people, the people who elect you, the people who work every day to make America great, that you are doing your part to reciprocate. So this whole conversation ties into the same issue again with student loans. And I've heard that President Biden is now considering Another extension passed August, and even considering, and I don't know how true this is, this is just what I heard in the news, he's considering um, what the options are to wipe out student debt. 
and I implore him to do so. It is, you know, I heard a story of people, it was, this was on the news too, where they, they, I guess the people, they, they did a survey and they spoke to several people who have crushing student loan debt and they talked about, you know, they put off a purchase, they need to, they need to drive to work or whatever, they got a vehicle that's falling apart and they probably spend more money fixing it, but they put off a purchase of, of leasing or buying a new one because of student loans. They've got a family that's bursting at the seams, you know, five people in a, in a one or two bedroom apartment. They want to buy a home, but they've put off a, a purchasing a home because of student loans. And we're not talking about bad money management here. We're not talking about, well, they make enough money to pay the student loans, but they refuse to. The fact is, again, the, the jobs are available, the opportunities are available, the, the degrees that we get from these universities that charge us this ton of money that we end up with with student loans, the, the whole system does not afford us the, the opportunity. Most people don't get the opportunity to walk into a job when you come out after having paid $200,000 in student loans to get a job that allows you to pay that back while you live with based on the cost of living and have basic amenities. And I'm sorry, you know, um, even the income driven uh, repayment program. And I mentioned that to you before when you you can't just use someone's income. It doesn't matter whether they live, what their mortgage is. It doesn't matter that they do have a mortgage. If you establish that's their primary residence, not a secondary residence, but that's where they live, then when, you, when you're trying to work out how much they can pay in the income-driven program, then you have to look at the fact of how much they're paying mortgage. You have to look at the fact of how much they're paying electricity, how much they're paying gas. These are things you need heat. You need, you need, you need to be able to prepare food. You know, you got, you got light bill, gas bill, water bill. These are things you can't, you can't offer people the American dream and then do everything you can to take it away or to suppress it so they can actually, can never actually realize the American dream. Have you ever, you know, sat and, and, and thought about how unfair this system is and how much, you know, the government that we elect gets away with it? Because we, the people, don't hold them accountable. And I'm not talking about one or two. I'm talking about how many millions of people across the United States are in the exact same position that some part of their life is impacted by exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying that if a person goes to university and they get a bachelor's and their education costs them $80,000, when they go to a job and they present that degree, there should be an algorithm that says this person needs to make $120,000 based on their education. You know, they passed, they had a good GPA, don't get me wrong, you have certain things that we are responsible for as the student, but they've met their criteria. So the, the minimum we can hire them for is this amount of money. Someone who's gone to college and gotten two masters and, and spent $200,000 in student loans. Hey, this person needs to make an algorithm says at least $160,000 a year to be able to have manage a home, pay their, their mortgage and stuff. Forget about credit cards and stuff. That's your business. I'm talking about the mandatory payments and mandatory responsibility you take on to live. The requirements. But you got people... Who've gone, I know people got a bachelor's or master's, they got $150,000 in student loans, and they're struggling to get a job for $70,000. And they, you know, they don't have the opportunity or the ability to live home with mom and pop forever. So they're struggling to pay, you know, to, to, to pay a mortgage or to even pay rent. Have you seen rent in New York City? I'm in New York City. I know someone the other day who came from, from I think it's uh, Denmark, uh, they, they, they lived here, they moved to Denmark, and the company offered them um, to work back in the United States. They were so happy they came back. They brought their family back. They went to pray. They got an apartment in Brooklyn. It was like $3,600 a month for the apartment. So they, they spoke to the company and said, you know, send me back to Denmark. I can't live here. Now, this is someone who is American who wanted to come back to bring their value of who they are and what they, they, they learned to our great nation. And they had to turn around and leave. And not they're going to leave, they left. They had to. They couldn't survive. We got, you know, you, you can't tell people that, you know what, you shouldn't go pay 3000 or 4000 or whatever for an apartment 
you should go find someplace cheaper because the fact of the matter is the cheaper options either don't exist or they exist in neighborhoods where your family's in danger. And this is a reality. I don't care how you look at it. There's no affordable affordability or built-in for people. You know, it, it, the, 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 the sacrifices, the compromises you have to make I mean, you, 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 you're a decent person, you grew up, you went to school, you're, you, you, you accomplished this, this great thing. You might have been the first person in your family who graduated from college and you're living like in, in poverty. Not because you, you're lazy or you're just unwilling, but because every opportunity you go to, either dealing with a company that, that, that looks at your degree and say, I don't care you have a bachelor's, that degree is not worth crap to me. That's one level you're dealing with. Then you're dealing with the elephant in the room that we've been talking about for the last few years, which is systemic racism that, that oppresses so many. Then you're dealing with the availability of jobs and so many people fighting for the few jobs in, your, in, in the different uh, you know, industries. And I know they came on the news and said, well, you know, there's a need for how many thousands of people? Well, how many thousands of people are qualified in that field, number one. And if you have, think about it for a second. If you have 5,000 jobs available in a field, in whatever skill set, and you can't find people to take the jobs, there has to be a reason. Is it that you have 5,000 people out there that, you know, you don't, there are not enough people qualified in that field? Or is it that, it's not worth it to them because they, you know, they, they can't take that job. They're doing something else outside their field because you're not paying enough for them to survive. If I get a degree, if, you know, if I become an MD, a doctor, and you know, my education costs me $300,000, then you obviously you want to get a job that you can start paying that money back and understand something. This is not a, you know, when, I, when you talk about the oppression of student loans, it goes far beyond paying a bill like you pay in a credit card. This is a 30-year commitment. Not everyone gets to go to college right out of high school. There are people that had to leave and go work and then they eventually went to college and they're 30-something years old and they graduate, they're not making any kind of money that they can pay back the student loans. So they go through forbearance, they go through the, all the deferrals, they work the system to delay it as long as they can with the hope, with the hope that someone will hire them and, and, and pay them enough so they can start paying back. And these are real stories because I've, I've been discussing this with so many people and, and it's surprising to know how many people are stressed in this society because they're figuring when the student loans payments restart, how am I going to do this? There are even people who were struggling to pay it before and the break for COVID or whatever, you say, well, they save money. They couldn't save money because circumstances actually cost them more money. So now they're looking at their, their, their financial picture now. And because of things that happened during COVID, maybe, you know, lost family member, whatever, they're in a worse position. And, and, and so you're telling someone now, you got 30 years, you're paying back you know, I know some people have twelve, thirteen hundred dollars a month to pay back. And if you can't pay it back, we're going to put you in default. We're going to completely you know, mess your credit up by putting you in default. So you can't. So you know, think about the ripple effect. We're going to put you in default because we didn't create a system that allowed you to earn an income to pay us back. But now that you can't pay us back, we're going to put you in default because the income that you're making, even though you can't pay it back, our income-driven program that doesn't take into consideration true life scenarios says that you can afford to pay back $1,000 a month. We don't care that you can. So now you're in default. So now we're going to screw up all your credit. So if your dream was to buy a house or whatever, you can put that dream off for the next 10 years because we're going to pound you into the dirt. And since this is a 30-year payment and you are now 30-something years old, you know, we'll finish our, this conversation when you're near 70. That's your life. You may not at that point, because there are many people who have had to start college later in life, 
you may not live to pay off your student loans. This is the burden. This is what, you know, I talk to so many people and I, and, I, and, I, and I feel the pain in their conversations and I'm trying to tell them and I think more people are starting to do it, but you have to join this conversation. Even if you're managing to pay your student loans, think about the oppression of it. You are working in the United States. You are giving your all the expertise that you went to college and, and learned back to this society, back to making this 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 country great, you know, and, and keeping it great. If islands, little islands in the Caribbean, can afford to give free education to their citizens, that some do it to masters, some do it to bachelors. The point is those islands that have a limited amount of jobs say to their citizens, we're going to get you to a point where you can get a job without taxing you any cost on it. Because we're investing in our people. Here we are in the arguably the greatest country in the world. And our country and our leaders and the people that who fight for our votes and tell us all the lies that they want to cannot come together and unite and agree that this is such an epidemic that it must be stopped. Like I said before, it does. I don't want to hear the argument from people who have paid off their student loans already. I know you have. I know you went through the pain. I'm happy that you accomplished it. So does that mean that because you did it, Nothing should ever change. Does that mean that because you did it, you represent everybody's scenario and because you had to do it to hell with the rest of the, the country, they have to figure it out or punish. I have no issue with if they wipe out student loans. I'm going to say when. I'm going to call it predicament. Uh, 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 I'm sorry, I'm, I'm lost the word, but I'm going to call um, a premonition, so to speak, that we're going to get to the point. I'm going to predict that we're going to get to the point where this is such an epidemic that this is the only option left. I don't know how long it's going to take and how many lives they're going to, that have to be continuously ruined until they decide that, you know what, we're going, we're going to do this for our people. If you want to look at people who paid off their taxes already and say, look, you know, for, for paying off your tax, paying off your student loans, I'm sorry, we're going to give you a tax break for X amount of years or X amount of money for X amount of years to sort of, you know, give you back something you know, uh, uh, as well because you are a part of the struggle. It just means that you reach the end of the struggle. I know when you look at a lot of my episodes on, on, uh, on, on your podcast app, you see a lot of episodes and somewhere in the title, along with everything else I'm discussing, it's student loans. But it's an issue that needs to be discussed over and over again. And every time I speak to someone else, I hear a new scenario. Every time I speak to someone else about this, I hear of new pain. Every time I speak to someone else about this, I hear of a new fear. Fear that once this starts again, their lives are going to collapse. Fear about their, that they won't have a way to, to feed their families. Not only because, so, so here's the scenario. If they take the money in reality, what, what the student loan you know, system is saying you have to pay, then they can't survive. They can't pay their rent and buy their food and, 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 and put gas in their cars and all of that. And if they can't pay it and they, they're in default and their checks get garnished, then they can't pay their rent and they can't buy food and they can't feed their children. They can't pay for health insurance. And they can't. It's just either way, the people that make up this great country of ours are losing because human beings like us that we elect to Congress, we elect to run this country, cannot unite when it comes to having compassion for people. People have arrogance. People somehow believe that, you know, once they get in government, they get to Congress, they've got such power. They have human power. But I'm often reminded about the person I spoke to yesterday who will not be here for me to speak to them tomorrow. We can have all the power in the world, but we don't have the power over life. We don't have the power that says every day we get up and we can breathe. Only Almighty God has that. 
And you should all know that part of my prayers includes the issue of student loans. Because it is an epidemic. It is something that, that, is, that is not only plaguing so millions of people who are in that predicament, but understand the reach of it. Because there are a lot of people, I have spoken to several young people who do not have college in their plans after high school. And don't get me wrong, some of our billionaires that are, that, that are alive today dropped out of high school. But look at how many that is compared to the number of people in our population who graduate high school every year. It's a drop in the bucket. Most of us need to go on to further our education to better learn a skill to be able to, to get the type of job, not only that we love to do or like to do or whatever, but the type, you know, to get a job that we can give back to this society. It is a prerequisite to be a productive member of society for many people. Don't get me wrong. There's some people who have skills with their hands. There are some people who can do different trades, you know, uh, and, you know, um, certain skill sets that don't require them to go to college and they can still have a great life and they can still make good money, but that's not the majority. Educational institutions are supposed to, 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 to not only teach us a skill, but the whole process of going to college and university is a process of maturity. It opens up our world and our eyes to a lot more than what we're learning every time we go to that class. It's about the people we meet from all parts of the world and, and all, all, all walks of life and, and the experience of, 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 of different challenges that we have to learn to adapt to, to overcome, to think outside the box. It's all about maturing as a human being. If it is, if it is applied in its correct form, the person who graduates through that system should have so much more to give back to society, but a lot of these colleges and universities are just interested in the money that they're grabbing from the federal government, and then they, they give you a piece of paper that says graduated. You know, and I, I'm going to tell you how, how this all ties in, because I can remember in some of the classes that I went to, when I was in college, where... I don't know whether it was the issue of the subject matter or the or the or the or the 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 instructor, but everyone in the class did poorly. They gave exams and, and people weren't getting over sixty. But these these instruct these professors now have to show the the university that they work for some success rate. So you know what they do? They call it they curve, they curve the grade. So all of a sudden, the guy who got 60, which was the highest grade, gets an A. The benchmark is no longer 100. They curve the grades so that they, they fudge the, the reality of what you actually came out with the capability to do. And you, you're graduating with this, this high GPA and then none of that reflects what actually went on over that time. And I've seen this happen. I've been a part of this. What I mean, I've been a part of it. I've seen the grades curve. I've seen how it, how, what they do. Maybe they're not effective in teaching it, but they still have to show the, the, the board of the, you know, of, of the college that they're effective you know, professors or whatever. The fact of the matter is that there are so many challenges in this, in this, in this design. I, I, I say to our current president and to our current leadership in, in Washington, make a change. Not only should you wipe out all existing student loans, federal student loans, that is, but if you decide to go back to that model, you need to restart from zero. And you need to make the universities and colleges understand this. Hold the note. When a student graduates, give, place some of the, the placement responsibility on the university or college. 
I bet you one of the first thing is going to happen is a lot of these universities and colleges have just been making money and getting rich off of this system are going to disappear. The ones that truly provide the kind of education that companies want are going to remain. And what should happen is once they place this student, this graduate, in a job with a certain predetermined level and above of income, that uh, that that through some algorithm that we would develop uh, is is sort of a, a balance of what or an average of what they need to be able to pay back those student loans that that college charges. Then, and there should probably be a national standard, but then the federal government will release the tuition funds for that student. The minute you hold these colleges and universities accountable for the, the graduates they produce, a whole lot's going to change. America's going to get greater because you're going to be guaranteed that the students coming out actually know not only what they're doing, they've actually learned something of value rather than just being you know, sort of passed through a system and at the end, they, they, they wear a cap and gown, they get a piece of paper. And then they find themselves working for money that they can't even survive on. They find their dreams crushed because their reality is quite different than, than, than what they expected from this great nation of ours. You know, there's a guy named, a rich guy, philanthropist named uh, Robert Smith. I think that's his name. And he, he I think, he paid, he, he's, very, he's a millionaire, a billionaire, whatever, but he paid $34 million, I think, for 400 students. Was it Morehouse? I think it was Morehouse. He paid their tuition. But understand, this is a private citizen who recognize the punishment of tuition from the federal government, you know, guarantees student loans. He understands the punishment. And so he, he, I can't imagine how those students felt when they, their balances went to zero. He gave them a chance at life. And this is someone, private citizen, who does so much more. I'm, I'm just going to sort of give him some props because I, I recently heard that He's got some buses or stuff like uh, some some program like that. And he's got buses that are going around into uh, middle and lower income communities, and they're doing uh, cancer screening, I believe. All out of all of his dime. This man spent thirty four million dollars for four hundred students. Now let's 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 talk about that real quick for a second. Understand the pain of student loans. If the to the sum of student loans for four hundred students, four hundred students a drop in a bucket in a nation of three hundred something million people, the sum of their tuition was thirty four million dollars. Now understand what oppression that is. Understand how oppressive that is for those students if they had to pay it off. But what's more important, if one member of our society, one of the thousands of, of millionaires who live in this, in, the, in this great country of ours, was compassionate and selfless enough to pay off the student loans for these 400 students, then why can't the rest of our society do this for the other, the millions who are out there who are struggling? And I want to make it clear to you, I talk about this student loan issue not be only because I see this an epidemic, but because I too sit in this position. I too worry about what's, you know, the, the challenge when, when it restarts because things have changed even in my life. And it's a struggle. It's, an, it's a struggle every day in, in mentally for me as I think about it. I have a decent job, but I don't, still don't have, in my estimation, the income I need to repay my student loans. And for my job, I went back to school twice. I have a bachelor's and two masters. I'm not going to tell you what my monthly payment looks like. 
but some no one is certainly paying me. I am dedicated in my job. My job is public service. Last week, April 13th, I started my 31st year of public service. And this is still a struggle for me as well. We elect government to support the people, to create programs, to think outside the box, to use their brilliance so that survival is a right and not a hit or miss. Survival is a guarantee as long as we do our part. Instead, they sit in Washington debating and fighting over Democrat or Republican and who I'm going to spite and who I'm not going to support because I don't like them because of what they said, because of what they said during elections, because of what they, all these things that they don't give a crap about you or me. As they continue their arguments, as they, in the middle of an argument, you ever notice this? In the middle of a huge debate, they go on vacation. While we sit and worry and stress, lose our lives to to violence across this nation, lose our families to the epidemic or the pandemic, lose our livelihoods because of lack of jobs, because of inflation, and they have to contemplate whether we are worth saving or not. But in the meantime, Let's print $100 million and send it to, to the people in Ukraine because we need to have compassion. Let's send billions of dollars worth of arms for them to fight their war because we need to have compassion. Yes, you do, but charity begins at home. You know, there's one thing I got to admire about the Ukrainians. There they are fighting for their own country and they are standing united they have said, we are united in our cause and you, no one will change that. We as people need to take the opportunity and take a, a page out of their book. Regardless of our race, creed, or color, regardless of our income level, if we are humans with compassion, that we, and we should be, we need to come together Make a stand and make a statement that it's time government works for us because you were elected by us. And we need to take the fight beyond student loans to crime, to poverty, to racism, to do everything we can to make a change so that we do our part to make this life that we live and the lives of our children and our children's children. Not only better than the lives we had, but our, for our legacy to be that we paid it forward, that the time we spent on this earth, we used it in compassion, in love, in caring, in sharing to make the lives of the next generation worth living. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That has become, this has become a custom of my show. Your will, not ours, be done. Thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of your day, a part of your listening part of your journey thank you for sharing this journey with you with me and giving me the privilege to share my thoughts with you 
I sure hope and pray that you will join me in this endeavor, in this movement to change things not just for you and me, but for those to come. I thank you so much for your support, for your loyalty, and for continuing to make 247 Real Talk Podcast an amazing success. Stay tuned as we continue, as I continue to work on making this podcast available and uh, hopefully on cable TV soon so we can share even more in person. Remember that you can listen to this episode and every episode of the 247 Real Talk podcast on your favorite podcast app. I so much like to hear from you, to hear your feedback, your thoughts, your agreements, your disagreements. Send me an email at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. As we continue this real talk, until the next time, take care of yourselves and each other.